avoid it and acetate early and everybody laughs. And we get to be home with it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Combining two short passages, we see firstly how Jesus called his apostles to begin their special training program with him, and then we jump forward to the end of that training three years later. The first reading is from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, and can be found on page 1005 of the Church Bibles. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And now, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20 which can be found on page 1001 of the Church Bibles. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, 
I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we've see, got both mics here. Do you want us to, do we use this one or that one? Or? I can use either. Use the next one. Okay, great. I'll just move this out of the way. Great. Well, lovely to be with you and especially to see uh, John and Jill after a long time. I first uh, knew them in Rochdale uh, in their previous uh, parish there in 1982, which uh, is longer ago than some of you can remember. Um, and it's been a real joy to have that friendship all that time. Thank you for all that you uh, put into my life at that time. Now, just so I can get my bearings, how many of you were here this morning? Just stick a hand up. Okay, right, a, a, a small number, fine. Um, I'm preaching from a different sermon this evening, um, from a different passage, uh, but let me just uh, set it in context by saying that this morning we were looking from uh, Acts chapter 11, um, as a remarkable and often overlooked uh, account of how the gospel broke through barriers to reach not just the Jewish people, but to plant a church for the first time among the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And that was done not by professional uh, missionaries, it was done by ordinary Christians, in fact Christians fleeing persecution in Jerusalem. And they picked up like uh, asylum seekers, they were asylum seekers actually, in the great city of Antioch, in that multicultural melting pot, um, and they had to find a new life for themselves, but as they did, they uh, chatted about Jesus, and a new church was born, and that church went on to be a church of the nations, uh, and then a church for the nations, as they sent out missionaries. And we made connections with all of that, uh, from all of that, with 21st century mission in Asia today. Asia, the world's uh, least evangelized continent, the world's, uh, the continent with the largest population, a continent where in quite a number of countries the church is growing fast, a dynamic scene. And the question is what we can learn from that and how we can contribute to that in the uh, world of mission today and indeed how we can open our eyes to the nations around us here in Portsmouth, uh, which means that all of us can be involved in, in reaching the nations, not just sending a few on our behalf to go to far-off land. So that was the theme for this morning, and if you want to hear more, I think the recording will be on the uh, website. Um, but I did say this morning that we were going to one aspect in more depth this evening, and it links with three of the words on the yellow vertical banner over there. The one in the middle, discipleship, and then ministry and witness. And we're going to be looking at how discipleship leads on to and is a necessary part of equipping people for ministry and witness. Um, and we're going to be looking at, again, how that works in uh, the contemporary mission scene in Asia, which is the continent I know the best, um, but also here for us as a church in our mission field here in uh, South Sea. And we're going to look at three uh, phases um, marked out by the three passages that we took our readings from. Three phases of Jesus' own discipling and equipping 
of uh, the 12 apostles uh, to be the bridgehead for the spread of the gospel. And we're talking about church growth God's way. We're talking about quantity, but also quality in terms of church growth. So let's see then uh, these three phases, starting with phase one, which is when Jesus recruited 12 trainees. You'll remember that about the age of 30, Jesus appeared on the public scene uh, in Galilee. Um, and he, for the next three years, we had a very intense time of ministry, preaching, teaching, healing, raising the dead, and so on. Uh, but at least as important, uh, and possibly in Jesus' mind even more important, uh, was the focused three-year, on-the-job, full-time, intensive training program to which he recruited these 12. Because actually the future of the church depended on them. So when we look through the Gospels, we see how Jesus selected, trained, and then released into ministry these 12. So let's look then at Mark 13. Um, we'll have it on the screen or in front of you in your Bibles. Um, and this is right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. So did he choose them, or did they choose him, or what? Well, he chose those he wanted, but they too had to respond. They had to come to him. And isn't this how the Christian life starts for each of us? It's a mystery, isn't it? How much of it is kind of God picking on us, uh, and, you know, how privileged that he should do that. But it's our response as well, coming to him. And then, what did he appoint them to do? Verse 14. Send them out, yes, to work for him. But before that, what does it say? Be with him. And as Mike reminded us at the beginning of this evening's service, uh, Mike said everything we do tonight flows from our central relationship with him. Discipleship flows from being in Christ, with Christ, expounding to Christ, walking each day with Christ, waking up in the morning and asking him to fill our, our hearts and thoughts and lives and attitudes and all that we say and do during the day. Discipleship is not immediately rushing out to do his work. Now, statistics show that among Christians, uh, regular daily Bible reading in this country is in decline. And although it's, you know, it's not a fixed kind of rule that you have to spend a certain amount of time every day in prayer, personal prayer and Bible study. The fact remains that those who do grow and those who don't, don't. And, you know, it's proven. You see it in people's lives. Those that every day spend time with Christ, um, laying the day before him, laying their attitudes before him, opening up his word and saying, Lord, speak to me today. And then taking something from that and going out through the day and putting it into practice are the ones that grow. So in my mind, there is no substitute in some shape or form uh, at some point in your day making time for Christ. But also it's about, you know, in our daily work, uh, as we're on the bus, as we're waiting in the queue, as we're washing the dishes, whatever it is, 
as the kids are cleaning up at Eden. Just being aware of Christ in our lives. Being with him, that's what he called the, uh, those 12 to do, first and foremost. Uh, it wasn't like a online training course where you, know, you sit at your computer console and fill in the answers. First and foremost, it was relational. Jesus called them to be with him, and he calls us today as his disciples to be with him and be molded by him and become like him. It is, as one person calls it, a long walk of obedience in the same direction. And it goes on the rest of our lives. But then he also uh, equipped them to work for him. And it mentions here two things in particular, to preach and to uh, have authority to drive out demons, but there were, of course, many other things that he equipped them to do through this on-the-job training program. Now, uh, Rachel and I spent many years in Pakistan. Uh, we're partners with InterService, who described earlier. Uh, and in Pakistan, a lot of life happens on the streets. And on the streets, one of the things you see are uh, apprentices, often actually kids, um, boys, for instance, learning to be car mechanics. Um, and they will be there and they'll, 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 they'll watch, first of all, they learn by watching the mechanic uh, fix the car. And then maybe they might you know, be called to bring a spanner or something to, to serve the mechanic. And basically they're under his authority. He's called the teacher, actually. And they're called the wo same word for apprentice that translates in the English Bible as disciple. So that is a discipling relationship. And they're watching what the master does and how he does it. And after a while, he trusts them enough to say, oh, come on, you know, you, you, know, you open that nut with that spanner. And they're starting to try out under his supervision. And then they graduate a little bit more, and he, you know, he's leaving them to do a, a smaller job independently, uh, trusting them to do it, and then after a while, they can do the big jobs, and then they might head off and start up their own business as mechanics. And that's the training system, as it were, in Pakistan. That's the kind of training system that Jesus had with his disciples, it didn't depend on writing essays and passing exams. It depended on being thrust out. Uh, first of all, seeing how he did it, and then having a go with themselves and messing up and making mistakes, and uh, you know, sometimes being reproved by him, being encouraged by him, being taught by him, um, and eventually getting to the point where they could do it for themselves. In fact, they had to, because he was gone, but uh, he left them the spirit to do it. And that, to my mind, is a very good way of training, and I, I find it good that uh, many churches now in Britain have a, a scheme where apprentices or interns are trained on the job in a local church setting. Um, it's a great way of learning. So that's how uh, the disciples were taught. They were taught in their relationship with Jesus. They were taught by watching him. They were taught by copying him. Uh, they lived together for three years. It was a small group, intense learning activity. There was one-to-one -one stuff as well. One-to-one -one with Jesus. Um, and then one-to-one -one with each other as they were sent out in pairs and probably had their arguments and everything else. Well, we know they had their arguments. But they learned on the job. And after three years, they were ready. And I think that's a great uh, model of uh, learning uh, for us. Now, um, one of the things Rachel and I are involved in a lot is with uh, new Christians that have come from Islam and are following Jesus. Um, and my PhD research was uh, looking at issues of identity for new believers of Muslim backgrounds in Pakistan. When 
like the new believers, actually some of them had been believers many years and I had much to learn from their example. And one of the questions I put to them were, what are the factors, the things that really helped you to grow strong after you came to Jesus? And it was quite striking that about 90% of all of their answers mentioned at least one, in fact often more than one, of the following four factors. First, they talked about having a Christian mentor, an individual, uh, an older Christian, uh, who could be for them a role model and a teacher uh, and somebody to help them walk the walk in the Christian life. After all, if you've just come to Christ and you've had all your life as a Muslim, you want to know what this stuff looks like. You know, what's it actually mean in practice? Uh, One of them, Abdul Rahim, said this about uh, his pastor. He said, he used to wake me up every morning to worship with him at 4 a.m. He is very humble indeed, and his way of speaking appeals to me very much. And he has a very good way of explaining God's word, and is very good at teaching. And he would answer my questions from the Bible, get me to open my Bible, and read for myself, and learn more, and write notes. And as I continued with the pastor, he taught me how to live, how to establish myself. So you see there both the, the living example of the pastor, and the disciplined lifestyle and the opening up God's word and teaching him to study. I wonder what the things were in your life that helped you to grow as a Christian. Because whatever they are, these are the things that you want to be passing on to other new believers. The second thing they mentioned uh, was the um, community of believers. And they talked a bit in the larger sense of the whole church, and they also talked about the small support group, often fellow converts who also come from Islam and shared the same experience of what it meant uh, to cope with that huge transition. And Shabir said, uh, we studied together and they gave me an opportunity to lead, even though I didn't know a lot. That's like trying out, isn't it? Uh, these things encouraged me. They gave me a family atmosphere. If there was anything wrong in my behavior, they gently corrected me. These were helpful things. Uh, and so we need to look and see how small groups uh, can be uh, effective for uh, equipping challenging and guiding uh, new believers in the faith. The third thing they mentioned was uh, the Bible, uh, regular internalized reading of the Bible. Uh, Abdul Masih said, the book I had thought was changed, because Muslims believe that the Bible has been changed, itself changed me. Uh, Abdullah had previously memorized the Quran, and he said when he came to the Bible, studying has its own place, but memorizing sticks in the mind. And he memorized the whole of 1 Peter, he said, because it has lots of encouragement in times of difficulty. And the fourth thing they mentioned uh, was God's special help in times of crisis. And uh, Khadim uh, said that when my family found out I was about to be baptized, they bound me to a bed, tied me physically to a bed so I couldn't escape. Uh, This is in Pakistan. I was bound there and I didn't know what to do. And my uncle was the most senior in the extended family. He said, you're not going anywhere. But I said, my God is able to release me. I was praying. I had to get baptized in a different town. The minister had said, come to me by 8 p.m. And it's that evening. I was worried because 8 p.m. came. I was still bound to the bed. My promise was broken. 10 p.m. came. I was two hours late. Now, weeping, I said to God, what shall I do? After two hours, it seemed my rope had opened. I sat up on the bed. My relatives were sitting opposite. I untied the ropes and stood up. They were looking at me, but somehow didn't see me. 
They didn't stop me, so I came out. It was three miles to the minister's house, so I walked there as I had no money. <laughs> I got there, and I got baptized. And the next day, my family said, he's not here, where's he gone? I reckon it was all God's work. He closed their eyes, just as he closed the mouth of the lion for Daniel. Now, all of these are direct quotes of Christians who are in a tough situation in Pakistan. They've come from Islam, and I ask them the open question, what were the things that helped you grow? And I wonder if some of those things are things that are going to be useful for us too, uh, wherever we are, in our own growth, but also as we think intentionally about how we can help others grow. So that's our first uh, passage. It's the um, training of the 12, a, a three-year intensive program. Um, and end of uh, this passage, it talks about the names, it goes through the names of the 12. Interestingly, the last of the 12 is, verse 19, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Isn't it interesting that even Jesus, the infallible, perfect Jesus, chose Judas, who didn't make the grade in the end? Well, in one way, I guess that's encouraging. I mean, Jesus obviously knew he wouldn't make the grade, but still chose him. Not everybody that we try to disciple is going to make it in the end. There are intense disappointments, not least when you're discipling those who have come to Christ in Islam. But there's wonderful joys as well, and the two come together. Um, this is an Iranian Christian in Oxford just phoned right, phoning right now. Um, he's been a believer about three years. Excuse me, just a minute. I, honestly, I didn't set this up. Oh, in this call, that's all right, I'll phone later, okay. Um, <laughs> okay, we're having a meal with him tomorrow night. Uh, incidentally, um, I've been in touch with five this afternoon, former Christians, uh, sorry, former Muslims who are now Christians in uh, and near Oxford. Um, and it's rather exciting. The big need, actually, at the moment in Britain is for more people to be disciples of all these new believers. You know, how, how can we handle the fruit that God is sending along? I talked this morning about Liverpool Cathedral, more than 80, 80 Iranians needing discipling. How is that going to happen? So, you know, the, the, the five this afternoon, um, there was a text uh, from someone uh, called Farida. Um, she was the one involved in her friend's Baptism. Another even newer Christian, uh, Frida got baptized in the river last year, and uh, her friend now has come to faith and got baptized today. So I sent a little text message today to encourage them and to say, Thank you so much for your prayer. God bless you. Um, so that was this afternoon at about half past two. Um, and then um, here's a guy who uh, has, he's from Pakistan, he's had his ups and downs, um, struggles, failures progress now, real progress, it's exciting, he's been leader for six years, been with him in the ups and downs, uh, he sent a text at 3.10 today saying, I found my pastor, he was worried about it, okay, it's about being there for people in the everyday, um, and then I had a phone call at about four o'clock today uh, with someone who's really struggling, he's lost his job, it wasn't a well-paid job anyway, he was a security guard, but he's lost that job, he's really struggling financially, he, worried, but he wanted to live for Jesus, um, so I just, you know, phoned him and we had a, a good chat this afternoon, hope to see him next week when the, uh, will it be about 30 or 40 um, 
converts from Islam will all be gathered together for an annual celebration that, that we have. Um, uh, and then the next one is from the lady that Rachel showed in the PowerPoint this morning. Um, she was on a training course last week, and I texted uh, her to ask you know, how it went. Um, she's only been a believer a few years, but she's grown incredibly fast uh, in the Lord and got a wonderful gift for ministry, and she's doing part-time training. Um, and she said uh, it was a fantastic week. I'm back fresh and ready for more serve. I need more service, uh, serving of the Lord. Thank you for your praise. Hope you have a good time while you are away. Um, and then the fifth one was the phone call that just came in just now, and I'll ring him back later. He's a, uh, an Iranian, came to Christ in Liverpool through the witness of another Iranian asylum seeker uh, about two years ago. Um, and he's also growing, and we're bringing him to supper tomorrow night. Now, okay, that's in a way all by the by, but, I'm, I, but it's fresh. It's all on here. That's all in the last four hours. This is what God's doing, but God, you know, where are the people to help care for and disciple and, and be there for these new believers that are coming from Islam? Don't let anyone ever tell you that Muslims can't come to Christ. It's not true. Let's go on to our next passage. Uh, Matthew 28. Now, uh, verse 16 of Matthew 28. Um, is something I only just noticed today for the first time. Uh, the 11 disciples, because of course they've lost Judas along the way, went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So, um, they are now right at the end of that three-year training period. Uh, it's their graduation ceremony from their intensive training. They've had the ups, they've had the downs, uh, they've seen Jesus die, they've seen him rise, he's about to ascend, and this is their graduation ceremony, okay? And this is what he says to them. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, there's two things in that extremely familiar passage that we often miss. One is that there's only actually one direct command in this whole passage, and all our English translations get it wrong. Because it doesn't say go in the original. It says going, baptizing, and teaching, make disciples. There's only one command there. Jesus' last command, he was serious about it, make disciples. And the second thing we often miss is we think it's teaching them everything I've commanded you. Is that what it says? What does it say? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. How many of our theological colleges are all about teaching knowledge and how much of it is about obedience you know and, and seriously how many of our final assessments in training programs look at obedience of how much we're putting into practice rather than how much we can write in an exam so Jesus now is moving here from making disciples to making disciples and Mike and I had a good conversation about that this afternoon uh, because it's make these people who will in turn make disciples and that's their key task. Let's whip on to our final passage, Ephesians 4 uh, because we've just had Ascension Day uh, about last Thursday and it's a bit that passes us by in the church calendar but actually Paul here makes something of Ascension Day because he's talking here about uh, and he's quoting from the Psalms in a context where in Psalm 68 it talks about God going up on high in victory and Paul is saying Jesus has won his victory on the cross and risen from the dead, he's ascended on high and he is distributing uh, his 
He's like in a victory procession with all the captains, and he's distributing the spoils of war, uh, the victory, uh, you know, the, 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 the stuff that's come from the conquest, and he's dishing it out. And so if he just stayed on this earth, limited to Galilee, that would be that. But because he's ascended, he fills everything in every way, the whole universe. And therefore, he's able by his spirit to distribute gifts and appoint leaders. And we've got these different kinds of leaders here, um, apostles, pastors, uh, evangelists, teachers, and so on. Uh, but their work isn't just to do the work of ministry. And how often do we make that mistake? The minister is there to do the ministry, and the rest of us are just there to sit back. Isn't that our attitude so often in the church? Well, I'm sure it's not in this church. The task of the church ministers and leaders is to equip, uh, where are we, to prepare or to equip God's people for works of service. So the ministry is being done by the whole people. I'm going to take two more minutes to give you some examples of how that's being worked out in Asia today. And then about uh, one more minute to close. Is that all right for time, Mike? Yep, all right. Let's uh, go to the PowerPoint now. If it'll come up. And I talked this morning about uh, a, a way of training in small groups that's being used in many countries around the world um, called TEE, which in theory stands for a Theological Education by Extension, but that's a mouthful and no one understands it, uh, so I call it a tool to equip and empower. And it's a tool for churches, local churches, to equip and empower uh, their people uh, for mission and ministry in their context. So it's saying that the chief uh, place for equipping people for Christian service and witness is not, you know, Bible colleges. They have their place for some. But the chief place for all is the local church. And how are we going to do it? Let's bring up the pictures. Oh, all right, okay. Well, <laughs> we may have to scrap the pictures. Um, but this system is working in, in, you know, on a large scale. Something like 100,000 adult Christians in Asia, men and women uh, who are, you know, busy with their workplace and their family life and everything else. They're on the front line. They're rubbing shoulders with non-Christians all the time. They're the, the people who are the living evidence of what Christianity looks like in a non-Christian continent. So discipling and equipping them is... Um, the way to show the world what a Christian looks like. Uh, and this form of training works through people uh, doing some self-study first. And these are some of the kind of uh, courses that are used. We've brought some. We have a look on the, uh, at the back afterwards. But for instance, here is a, a basic uh, introduction to understanding how God's word fits together and benefiting from it for ourselves. Here it is in... Uh, Bengali and uh, Spanish, uh, Chinese, Russian, and Waziri, and English, and many other languages. So people do the self-study first, and then they get together in a small group in their local church once a week, and they look at how this is going to be put into practice uh, in our lives. What we can learn from this, what we can learn from each other, how is it relevant? And then the third part of it is going out in the coming week and doing something practical uh, to put it into practice. And this is a form of learning that can be fitted into people's everyday lives, right in the context of where they're living. Um, and is empowering and equipping people, not just in uh, studying God's word, but also in evangelism. This one is called Taking the Good News to Muslims. Uh, the frontline missionaries to Muslims are the local Christians across the Muslim world. This one, 
uh, how to teach children the Bible, Sunday school. This one, work and unemployment. Uh, this one, Christian family life, massive issue for every first generation believer. So this is the kind of stuff that uh, we're involved with and will continue to help foster and support uh, from a base in Malaysia in the coming years. But I didn't come to talk about us and our work, I come to excite you about uh, the local church as the uh, birthplace and the crucible and the launching pad for equipping God's people to work for service. So that, as it says in um, verse 13, we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, verse 16, uh, 15, that we may grow up into the head that is Christ. So, discipleship leading to ministry and witness. True for the churches of Asia, true for us as the Jews, it's what God, no, it's what Jesus modeled and provided for the disciples for three years, it's what he commanded them to go off and do. It's what Ephesians 4 says church leadership should be about, equipping the disciples and the disciples. And praise God for the privilege of being involved in a ministry like this.